Heavenly Father, we just thank you today for your incredible word. It is indeed a lamp unto our feet and it is a light unto our path. God, I just pray that you will help us today to glean uh, from your word today what you want us to glean. All for your glory we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this morning we are going to continue our sermon series that I'm calling Take Action. We are strolling through an action-packed book of the Bible called Acts. Today we're going to look at chapter number 4. We're going to look at the first 31 verses of this chapter. And in these 31 verses, there are four things that I want to call your attention to. And the first one is simply this, and that is that the people who should be for you are often against you. And we find that in verses 1 through 3. Let's read that this morning. It says, Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody, un, custody until the next day, for it was already evening. I want us to notice that it's the religious leaders of the day who oppose Peter and John. The people that should have been for them were the very ones who were against them. How in the world could this be and why were they? Well, here's what I've come to understand, and that is that the people who come against us, who should be the people for us, are against us most of the time because of two reasons. And I'm going to give you those two reasons this morning. Number one, because they are insecure. The people that ought to be for us, that instead are against us, the reason why they are against us and not for us is because they are insecure. See, Peter and John are receiving a lot of attention at this moment. The the, the lame man uh, that sat at the gate beautiful uh, that was healed uh, through the hands of Peter and, and John. And because of that, all eyes were now focused upon Peter and John. And what we need to understand is that the attention that, that the priests and the religious leaders had been receiving was now being transferred to Peter and John. The people that were looking to the priests and, and were looking to the religious leaders for answers were now turning to Peter and now turning to John. And let me just tell you that the priests and the religious leaders didn't like that one little bit. See, see, no doubt they began to become very insecure, even to the point of beginning to worry about the security of their own positions in the temple. Let me ask you this morning, has that ever happened to you? People who were once for you have suddenly turned against you. People who at one time in your life were buddy-buddy with you have all, all of a sudden started giving you the cold shoulder. 
I can tell you that it has happened to me before. I, I've had pastors who, who seem to be my friends. We seem to be, to be buddies. We seem to be friends. But then all of a sudden, they suddenly withdraw from me when my church got bigger than their church. Or when my ministry appeared to be outdoing theirs. Why are people who should be for you suddenly found to be against you? One reason is their insecurity. See, perhaps before you, before you came along, they were the person of influence. Before you began to excel, they were the go-to person, but now all of a sudden you have surpassed them in influence and popularity, and the people that, were, that once went to them are now going to you, and quite frankly, they don't like it. They become insecure and begin to do everything in their power to sabotage you. They begin to do everything in their power to try to diminish your influence and your effectiveness. And when someone starts saying positive things about you in their presence and start talking about your effectiveness, they immediately begin sing, saying things like, yeah, but this, or yeah, but that, but, or yeah, but something else. Jealousy can be pretty ugly sometimes. Let me suggest another reason why the people who should be for you are often against you, and that is because because they have been influenced. They have been influenced. See, everybody has influence with somebody, and some have influence over several. I don't know this morning, but perhaps it was just one priest or perhaps it was just one religious leader who started placing negative thoughts in the heads of other priests and other religious leaders against Peter and John. All you have to do is read Facebook to understand that there are a lot of people who can't think for themselves. There's a host of people who just wait to see uh, what somebody else thinks about a particular situation and then they are quick to jump on their bandwagon because some people are easily influenced. See, see, see I, I've seen people leave church on a Sunday morning all excited about the morning service that, that they just attended and they just experienced. Uh, you know, they came by uh, to see me on their way out of church. They shook my hand and, and they told me how happy that they were with everything and how happy they were with the church and how excited they were about how things were going uh, at the church. And then... And then they went to lunch with a certain someone. And that certain someone informed them that the preacher didn't preach right, and the singers didn't sing right, and and the sound didn't sound right, and the ushers didn't ush right, and the deacons didn't deek right. And all of a sudden, the people who were for you are suddenly against you. What happened? They were influenced. 
Oh, I wish this morning that I could stand up here and tell you that people will always love you. I wish I could stand up here and tell you that people will always support you. I wish that I could tell you that people will always wave your flag and march in your parade. But the truth of the matter is this morning, the people that ought to be for you are often the very people that you find against you. How many of you are encouraged now? You might think, Pastor, don't you have anything positive for us today? Yes, I absolutely do. And here it is. Here it is. Although the people who should be for you are often against you, the second thing that I see in our scripture for today is this. That is the Holy Spirit is always available to help you. Even though the very people that ought to be for you are often against you, the good news is the Holy Spirit is always available to help you. And we find that in verses 4 through 12. Let's read those this morning. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Say, filled with the Holy Spirit. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well? Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. There is therefore salvation, there is, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So here's what we need to understand this morning. That is that the Holy Spirit can help us overcome opposition no matter who or where it comes from. I'm going to suggest two of many things that the Holy Spirit does for you. He does so many other things, but but I find two uh, things in particular that we can depend upon the Holy Spirit to do for us that is found in the first in the verses 4 through 12 that we just read. The first thing is he gives you boldness. See, before Peter's experience with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost in the upper room, he he, he was really really good. At talking the talk, but not so much about walking the walk. He was really good at making rash promises and boasting about what he was going to do, but not so good about fulfilling those promises until he received power through his Holy Spirit baptism in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. And after this encounter with the Holy Spirit, things drastically changed for this man called Peter. See, before Peter's upper room experience, when he was challenged, Peter denied his Lord. 
After his Holy Spirit baptism, Peter stood up and declared Jesus Christ as Lord. See, the Holy Spirit is always available to help you. He gives you boldness. I don't know this morning, but perhaps you, someone here this morning, perhaps you are much like Peter was before Pentecost. You're really good, really, really good in a controlled environment. You're really, really good, a really, really good Christian, and you're really good at practicing Christianese as long as you're in a controlled environment. I mean, I mean, you're quick to mouth off about what you will and what you won't do. You're quick to do that When you're in church, with your Christian friends, without any opposition, without ridicule, when when you have spirit-filled cheerleaders cheering you on, but not so much after you walk out of these doors and into the real world that is anti-Christ and anti-Christian and anti-Christian values. You need what Peter needed. You, You need an encounter with the Holy Spirit. You need your personal Pentecost and your own personal private upper room experience. Because the Holy Spirit does two things for you as found in these verses. First of all, he gives you boldness. And then number two, number two, he gives you believers. See, although Peter and John were persecuted, although they were punished for preaching Jesus as the risen Savior, although, although there were many that ridiculed them, although there were many that persecuted them, although there were many that, that did not listen to them, did not heed what they had to say, did not respond to their ministry, but yet verse 4 says that in the midst of all of the persecution and in the midst of their punishment and in the midst of all the difficulties that they were encountered, encountering, the Bible says in verse number 4, that 5,000 people were saved. See, not only will the Holy Spirit give us a boldness to share our faith, but He will give us fruit for our labor. Now, most people don't share their faith today, and the reason why most people don't share their faith is because of two things. Number one, they're afraid they're going to be ridiculed. They're afraid that if they speak up for Jesus, uh, they're going to be ridiculed. They're going to be persecuted. They're going to be made fun of. And so because out of fear of ridicule, they don't share their faith. And the second reason is they don't believe that anybody is going to respond. They don't think it's going to do any good. They don't think anyone's going to listen. They don't think anybody's going to buy in uh, to uh, their beliefs and buy into what they are sharing. But the truth of them, and the truth of the matter is, some people will ridicule us. Some people will ridicule us. Jesus said, if they have persecuted me, Jesus said, they will also persecute you. Peter and John were persecuted for sharing their faith. But I want you to understand, and I want you to notice here that not everybody persecuted them. 
There were 5,000 people that listened to them. There were 5,000 people that believed what they had to say. There were 5,000 people, amen, that gave their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ that day. 5,000 people got saved. It was the Holy Spirit that gave them the boldness to share the gospel that caused 5,000 people to become believers. So this morning, I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you to ask the Holy Spirit to give you the boldness to share the gospel with your friends and with your family and with your co-workers. I want to challenge you today to ask the Holy Spirit to give you boldness to stand up for what is right and stand up for what you believe in. I'm not talking about being obnoxious. I'm not talking about trying to make people feel bad. I'm not talking about putting on some kind of an air and acting and you know looking down your you know your spiritual pious nose at somebody. I'm not talking about that at all. But I am talking about a boldness to stand up and declare that yes, you belong to Jesus. Yes, you're a child of the King. Yes, you believe in the Bible. Yes, you believe in the values of the Word of the Lord. And also, also uh, be tender in your spirit and be sensitive to your, in your spirit to allow the Lord to give you an opportunity to share uh, your testimony and share what Jesus has done in your heart and in your life with somebody in need or somebody that needs to hear it. The Holy Spirit can give you boldness to testify. He can give you boldness to witness. He can give you boldness, amen, to stand up uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And he can also prepare the heart of the people in advance so that when you share your ministry, you share your testimony, you share the gospel, there will be people that will listen. There are people that will heed. There are people that will embrace what you are sharing with them. All right, let's look at the third thing. That I see in our scripture for today. And that is this. Our fruit proves who we are. Our fruit proves who we are. We find this in verses 13 and 14. Let's read those verses. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could not say, they could say nothing against it. The critics of Peter and John could not deny the fruit that was manifested through their ministry. Jesus said in Matthew 7 and verse 16, Jesus said, by their fruits, you will know them. By their fruits, you will know that. Let me ask you this question this morning. How do, how do you know for sure that a tree is truly an apple tree? Because it produces apples, right? And how do you know that a tree is a peach tree and not a pear tree? You know that because it produces peaches and not By the fruit that comes from that tree, you know what kind of a tree it is. Let me ask you this this morning. How do you tell the difference between a saint and a sinner? The Bible said, Jesus said, by their fruit, 
You will know them. So you tell the difference between a saint and a sinner by their fruit, by their works, by their actions. Now understand this morning, I'm not talking about works to be saved. I'm not saying you work to be saved. You can't work to be saved no matter how many good works that you do. You can never become good enough in order to be saved. We are not talking about works to be saved, but we are saying that if you are saved, there's going to be some fruit. There's going to be some works. There's going to be some deeds. There's going to be some actions. There's going to be some attitudes. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, he said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. Now, I want you to understand this morning, people don't, be, people don't become perfect when they get saved. People do not become perfect when they get saved, but they do receive a new nature. And this new nature produces new desires, which translates to new actions. And these new actions produce a different kind of fruit. Paul writes in Galatians chapter number 5, book of Galatians chapter number 5, Verse 16 through 25, Paul writes and he says, I say them, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You say, Pastor, how do I live an overcoming life? How do I live above sin? How, how do I keep from sinning? It's very simple. Paul says, just walk in the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit, you're going to produce the fruit of the Spirit. If you walk in the flesh, you're going to produce the fruit of the flesh. Paul says, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He said, for the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. There is a tug of war that is going on in our life at all times. It's the spirit man versus the carnal man. It's God Versus the devil. It's good versus evil. And we're right smack dab in the middle of the tug of war. And we got one pulling us one direction and we got the other pulling us the other direction. You say, Pastor, who's going to win? Let me tell you who's going to win. It's going to depend upon which way we lean. Because they are equally pulling against us. And so if they are equally pulling against us, who's going to win? The one that we lean in that direction. Hello? The flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But, say but, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, Dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness, uh, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, say but, but the fruit of the Spirit 
is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So, so what are we discovering this morning? We are discovering that our fruit proves who we are. Notice two things here this morning. This is very, very important. What we produce is determined by who we are connected to. What we produce is determined by whom we are, by who we are connected to. Back to our text. Verse number 13 says that the people realized that they, Peter and John, they realized that these men had been with Jesus. Let me tell you something this morning. People can tell whether or not we have been with Jesus. They could tell. There was something about these two men. There was something that marked a difference in their life. And one of the things was they recognized that these men had walked and talked, communed, fellowship with Jesus. They realized, they, they, they understood that Peter and John had been with Jesus. All the aroma of his presence is evident in the lives of people who spend a lot of time in his presence. So what we produce, the fruit that manifests itself through our lives, is determined by who we are connected to. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Jesus said, if he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Story is told of a gardener who took a briar bush and grafted it with a rose bush. And in time, beautiful roses were blooming on that old, ugly, worthless briar. And the gardener said to the briar, said to the briar, said, your beauty is not due to what has come from you, but from what was put in you. See, what we produce is determined by who we are connected to. Listen, listen to me this morning. The only way that you and I can produce good fruit is if we stay connected to the vine, if we stay connected to Jesus. And understand this this morning. Our true fruit is revealed through our conversation. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 45, Jesus said, Jesus said, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Jesus said that our true fruit is revealed through our conversation. Jesus, let me, let, me, let me tell you, Jesus, Jesus said you can tell what's in a person's heart Pastor, you don't really know what's in a person's heart. How many have ever heard somebody say, well, you don't really know what's in their heart? Well, Jesus said you can know what's in a person's heart. You just don't know what's in their heart. Yeah, you do. 
People might spout off something and somebody trying to, you know, make them look a little better. Well, you don't really know what's in their heart. Well, yeah, I do. I just heard what's in their heart. Jesus said you can tell what's in a person's heart by listening to what comes out of their mouth. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. I didn't say it. Jesus did. So if that be true, and I believe it is, then that means that if there is bitterness in your heart, then bitter words are going to be coming out of your mouth. So if you spend a lot of time around somebody who's always spewing out a bunch of venom and a bunch of bitter words, you can understand and you can know that, that they're not just speaking those words, but that those words are coming from, from somewhere, and that somewhere is from their heart. If jealousy is in your heart, you're going to tell off on yourself with your mouth. If lust or greed or prejudice is in your heart, it will be exposed by what comes out of your mouth. Because our fruit proves who we are. And our true fruit is revealed through our conversation. All right, let's take a quick look at the fourth and final thing that I see in our scripture for today. And that is, good can always be found in bad times. Good can always be found in bad times. We find that in verses 15 through 31. I'm not going to take the time to read all of these verses, but I am going to give you three things that I see in these verses. And the first thing that I see in these verses related to what I've just said is that bad times reveal our commitment. Bad times reveal our commitment. We find that in verses 18 through 21. I am going to read those verses. It says, So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish, of punishing them because of the people. So they all glorified God for what had been done. Peter and John were threatened and told to stop preaching Jesus, but Peter and John made it clear that they were committed to their ministry regardless of the consequences. So I ask you this morning, how is it with you and how is it with me this morning? How is it with us? How is it with us this morning? Are we fair weather Christians? Are we only committed to the Lord in the good times? Are we quick to question God? Are we quick quick to falter in our faith when difficulties knock on our door? Somebody said it's easy to be a soldier on parade day. It's easy to dress up. and It's easy to look like a soldier. It's easy to walk down the street while people are cheering and while people are waving the flag. It's quite different when you are sent into battle. Bad times reveal our commitment. I know what's going on in some people's lives based on the fact of whether they're in church or not. If they're in church, I know things are going well. If they're not in church, I know something happened. Something's messed up. Something's going bad. Fair weather Christians. 
Bad times reveal our commitment, but also bad times require prayer. Verse number 31 says, and when they had prayed, say they had prayed. And when they had prayed, let let, let me say this this morning, let me suggest this. If bad times drive us to our knees, then our bad times can't all be bad. In the old song, Through It All, written by Andre Crouch years ago, the song says, if I never had a problem, I'd never know my God could solve them. I'd never know what faith in God could do. Good can always be found in bad times. Not only does bad times reveal our commitment and require prayer, but also bad times release God's power. Bad times release God's power. Verse number 31 says, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. God's power is available to us in bad times. Times. God's power, God's power not only, not only saves us, but it also sustains us. The story is told of a father and son who had a daily ritual of taking a walk in the cool of the evening together. In the area not far from their house, the workmen were building a new bridge. One evening after work, the father got his son and they did their daily inspection, walking down, doing their walk together, but also walking down and examining the progress of the day on the new bridge that the builders were building. And when they got there that day, they saw something they had not seen before, and the young man didn't, had never seen it before, and the young man didn't understand it, as the workmen were knocking the props out from under the bridge. And the little boy, quite puzzled as to why in the world would, would they be knocking the props, the very props that they had put there, the very props that they, they had put under the bridge, now they are knocking the props out from under him. And the little boy was puzzled, and he looked to his dad, and he asked his dad, Daddy, Daddy, why are these men knocking the props out from under the bridge? And the wise father said to his son, they are knocking the props out from under the bridge so that the bridge can rest firmly and securely on the stone pillars that were designed to hold it up. Sometimes, sometimes God allows the props to be knocked out from under our life and we don't understand. Everything was good, everything was well, everything was perfect in our life and all of a sudden the props have been knocked out from under our lives and we don't understand it and we are puzzled. But I want to tell you this morning, sometimes God has to allow the props to be knocked knocked out from under our life in order that we may rest more securely and more firmly on the solid rock Christ Jesus, amen, that was designed to hold up our lives. But sometimes we try to hold ourselves up And sometimes we try to make things work on our own And when we try to hold ourselves up God has to remind us that He did not design us to hold ourselves up But He designed us to depend upon Him He designed that we rest our lives upon Him And so sometimes He allows the props to be knocked out from under us So that we might rest on Him 
good can always be found in bad times. Sometimes you really have to look for it. And sometimes it's not until it's totally over that you understand and recognize there really was something good come out of this. Musicians and singers get back in place quickly and quietly this morning. The takeaway for the message this morning is simply this. God is always at work in our lives. God is always at work in our lives. Oh, we may not be able to see Him. We may not be able to see any of the fruit. We may not be able to to, to discern what God is doing. But God is always at work in our life. See, See, He's either working for us or on us. Or in us. Or through us. But God is always at work. In our lives. Father I just pray today that you will take this word this morning that has been shared. God I just pray today Father that it will do the work that needs to be done. In the heart and life. Of your people today.